What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Fifty years ago this week, young anti-war activists gathered in Chicago to protest outside the Democratic National Convention. The result was a gigantic battle with the police broadcast on national TV, and the whole world was watching. It was one of the climactic moments of a year like no other. Donald Trump, however, was not protesting against the war in the streets of Chicago. He had just graduated from business school and joined his father's real estate company in New York City. For the story of Trump's 1968 and ours, we turn to Todd Gitlin. He was a key figure in the New Left, president of Students for a Democratic Society in 1964 and 65, and he helped organize the first national demonstrations against the Vietnam War. He's also a key historian of the era, author of the book The Sixties, Years of Hope, Days of Rage, among many other books, and he's a professor of journalism and sociology at Columbia University. Todd Gitlin, welcome to the program. Nice to be with you, John. Remind us briefly about the events of 1968 before those demonstrations in August. Maybe we should start with, I don't know, the Vietnam War. Well, (laughs) 1968 felt in some ways like the present in that once, just when you thought you'd heard the most egregious, the most uh, appalling Mm. fact, the most surprising development, something else came on and whacked you on the head all over again. So the war was on. uh, Several thousand, several tens of thousands of Americans had already been killed. The Tet Offensive began the process by which Americans realized that this war was not being won, that the war was going to be, uh, by default, a blow against America's arrogance and the false sense of innocence. And that, let me just say, was at the Uh, end of January and the beginning of February. So that was the start of the year. So in the meantime, you have uh, Eugene McCarthy having declared that he's running for the nomination for president against President Johnson. He does well against Johnson in the New Hampshire primary, whereupon Bobby Kennedy, after stalling, decides to enter the race. So now we have two anti-war candidates against Johnson. Johnson goes before the, the nation at the end of March and declares that he is not going to seek another term. 
Four days later, Martin Luther King is assassinated, and um, hundreds of American cities are burnt to the ground, or nearly so. Some of them never quite rebuilt. And, of course, campus confrontations are in train. Uh, Columbia's uprising uh, April 1968, and uh, police bus and uh, brutality uh, everywhere you can see. So that's the, the setting. It's a, it's a setting that, that lends itself to astonishment, fear, apocalyptic uh, anticipations or fears of worse. Uh, it's uh, it's not a time for uh, unruffled uh, sensibilities. So Johnson's withdrawal from his own re-election campaign was something that had never happened before, and it was clearly a response to the anti-war movement and the anti-war candidacy of these of these two uh, senators. That was a tremendous victory for the anti-war movement in the streets and for the small but dedicated activists in the de- fighting in the Democratic Party to get rid of their own president. That succeeded. But then, of course, Robert Kennedy was assassinated in the on the evening of the California primary in June. That left the opposition within the Democratic Party pretty much without a candidate. And meanwhile, uh, Johnson's Vice President Hubert Humphrey from my home state of Minnesota uh, picked up the banner of the Democratic Party establishment. And this brings us to Chicago, August 1968, the Democratic National Convention. What was the plan? Well, the first plan was to try to get to see if you could have a straightforward, sensible, peaceful demonstration. Yes. But the daily administration in Chicago made it evident that they weren't going to permit that. They were going to permit people to sleep in the park. They had imported Army and National Guard troops on top of thousands of Chicago police. They were were itching for a fight. And some of the organizers of the demonstrations were also, in their own way, itching for a fight in order to demonstrate that the country could not simply be permitted to trundle along uh, in a business-as-usual way as long as this abomination was taking place in Vietnam. So I, I think it would be sort of somewhat misleading to say there was a plan. What there was was a mood. Yeah. Uh, and the mood, the mood was, let's fight. The fact that the the mayor uh, ordered the Chicago police and the and the National Guard joined in in this huge battle in the streets completely transformed the meaning of the convention and uh, in a lot of ways the anti-war movement too. It left people like you and me. Let's identify ourselves here: a couple of old white men who remember that year very vividly, feeling very despairing, very. Uh, uh, hopeless about how the war would ever end. You are right about that. There was no clear, there was no plausible trajectory toward ending, ending the war at this point. And the, the, uh, the, the killing of Bobby Kennedy sort of put the end to any lingering hope that there might be a, a, a seamless way out or a relatively decent way out. So uh, there was a sense of desperation you know, America was living one one kind of reality. You know, there was an election. There was Nixon. There was Humphrey. There was George Wallace competing for president. And then, you know, the movement was itself on a different plane of apocalyptic expectation without yeah. a plausible direction for a way out. 
and, and you know when when you when you've been working against the war for years now and your numbers are growing, but you are completely unrepresented in the political system, completely unrepresented in the political system, then you're staring at a wall. You're staring at uh, a, a, an enfeeblement. You're staring at at hopelessness, and, and that was, I think, very much the mood. Although the, the hopelessness was sometimes disguised as its opposite, namely uh, a kind of revolutionary elan, a kind of joyous expectation that the uh, the system was going to break down any any minute. But I, I I would say that was a delusion, and, and what it masked was just the harshest kind of, of desperation. Meantime, America's going along. Donald Trump, who you, I think, rightly want to look at in this context, represents that part of the generation, which is actually um, trundling along quite merrily, figuring out how to get away with sort of pretending that life is normal. I mean, Donald Trump represents that segment of the 50s that persists into the 60s. It, it is quite numerous. It doesn't uh, look forward to social transformation. It looks, looks forward to business as usual. Its hero, as I've written, is, 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 uh, is not Martin Luther King. It's not Che Guevara. It's Hugh Hefner. Oh, and, you know, it's, as Trump once told um, uh, Howard Stern, you know, his, his Vietnam was avoiding sexually transmitted diseases. <laughs> oh, uh, so, and, you know, he was yeah. not alone in that. There, yeah. were, there were a lot of Americans who thought America's doings in the world were not any of their business. Their business was simply to do the American thing, which is to make money. And just to be specific about this, Donald Trump, while people like us were getting ready to go to uh, Chicago to confront the war and the war makers. Donald Trump was graduating from business school, the Wharton School. He uh, had a student deferment. His student deferment turned into a, a 1A uh, available for service. He got himself declared 4F, unfit for service because of a medical condition, namely his famous bone spurs. And then he went went to work for his father and became president of the Trump Management Corporation, in, you know, which had 14,000 apartments in Brooklyn and Queens. And a couple of years later, he and his father were on the front page of the New York Times because they'd been charged by the Department of Justice for refusing to rent to black people. That was Donald Trump's 1960s. Donald Trump uh, probably never spent one millisecond thinking about the war in Vietnam and yeah. Insofar as he was aware that there was uh, an uprising, a tumult, a contestation in America, it was there were some annoying people who were getting in the way of his family business. Well, let's let's talk for a minute about the Democratic Party in 1968. The astounding thing is just three or four years before, when Johnson took office, the Democrats passed two pieces of landmark legislation that still remain high watermarks for us today. The Voting Rights Act, we wish we had it back, and Medicare. Now we want Medicare for all. And just the, from those two things in 65 and 66 to the complete collapse of the party in 68 just shows how, how astounding 1968 was and how fast things can turn around in America. Well, this tragedy, the tragedy was that Johnson... Um, sacrificed the so-called great society in behalf of this lunatic war. Yeah. 
Uh, and in the process, he, uh, if there was any possibility of a kind of soft landing out of the um, the turmoil of the Democratic Party into a sort of post-New Deal, you know, uh, stability or equilibrium, that that possibility was foregone. The the, the war destroyed the the, the great society. It uh, ushered in the reaction, the counter-revolution, if you will, that's uh, actually prevailed for most of the period uh, of the last 50 years. Today, the anti-war veterans of 1968 are feeling, you know, embattled and and anxious and, and, and depressed, and Donald Trump is president. I hate to say it, but are Donald Trump and the people like him the winners of the last 50-year battle? They are the inheritors at the moment, which doesn't mean forever. But they indeed read the they read the demographics, they read the rage, they read the resentment. They became the party of resentment that could mobilize the white majority into a a restorationist onslaught. Um, I think the, the the immediate outlook is pretty good. But no one should underestimate the the rancor, the the viciousness, and the miscalculation that under under undergirds the the Republican reaction. This is the Republican Party that Richard Nixon aimed to, to create, that Ronald Reagan did create, and Donald Trump, for all his bizarre wackiness, is actually you know the the feverish child of that misbegotten counter-revolution. Todd Gitlin, he wrote the book, The 60s, Years of Hope, Days of Rage, and he's featured in the new issue of The Nation magazine commemorating the 50th anniversary of 1968, an interview with Todd Gitlin conducted by Sasha Abramsky. It's great reading. Todd, thanks so much. Great to have you on the show. Always a pleasure, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.